Welcome to the In Camera Review Podcast. Mike, Matt, and Logan, we are lawyers talking about movies. Each week, we pick a movie, an actor, and a year. Up for review this week, the movie, Michael Clayton, and Halle Berry. We will also take a look at the 2017 Academy Awards, where La La Land took home Best Picture. Nope. This, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. This is not a joke. I'm afraid I read the wrong thing. The other nominees for Best Picture at the 89th Academy Awards were Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, Lion, and Manchester by the Sea. Logan, what'd you watch? Yeah, I got in Michael Clayton, Moonlight, and Monster's Ball. Second time. It's been years since I've seen Monster's Ball. I watched Monster's Ball as well. I watched a lot of Halle Berry movies this week. Had never seen The Call before, directed by our boy Brad Anderson. Brad Anderson, dude, right? <laughs> yeah, I was all over The Call when that came out. I was like, oh, nice, Halle's, Halle and Brad are working together? What happened to him? I don't know. I don't know. The Call. I, mean, I think it's The Call. The Call, yeah. Good, hey, good call. <laughs> I, I, I remember seeing Gothica in the theaters, and I watched it again this time on uh, HBO Max, or as my son calls it, Hebo Max. <laughs> um, I watched Arrival for the second time, mm. Hacksaw Ridge for the first time, and Manchester by the Sea for the first time. Matt, yeah. um, like, what are the Halle Berry movies and some of these movies that you've seen before? But definitely Gothica, The Call, Monsters Ball, X-Men. I, I don't have any problems with Halle. I don't. And, and I'm, I'm excited to get into it. What about these, uh, the movies from 2016? Have you seen any of these? Arrival, for sure. Hell or High Water in the discussion for best movie of the decade, man. For sure. Short, tight. I haven't seen Moonlight yet. Manchester is really good. I mean, Casey is... Over Gosling and Musical? Something doesn't sit right. We'll just put a pin in that. Uh, Mike mentioned this at some point about rewatchability. Like Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea is tough. It sounds, it sounds pressing. Watchability for me. It, man, it's, right? it does. it's, it's hard. It's like Monsters Ball. Monsters Ball is tough. It's super depressing. What's the point? Right. right? What's the it point? Makes you feel sad. It really does. It doesn't you know. make me feel good. <laughs> make her feel good. <laughs> And for $50 million in fees, I've spent 12% of my life destroying perfect Hannah and her dead parents and her dying brother. When was the last time you took one of these? No, 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 no. I'm not losing this. Everything is not finally significant. The world is a beautiful and radiant place. I'm not trading that for this. If it's real, the pill won't kill me. I have blood on my hands. You are the senior litigating partner of one of the largest, most respected law firms in the world. You are a legend. I'm an accomplice. You're a manic depressive. I am Shiva, the god of death. George Clooney and Tom Wilkinson in their Academy Award-nominated performances in the 2007 movie Michael Clayton. The movie was written and directed by Tony Gilroy. You would know him as the writer of the Born Identity movies. The movie was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actor George Clooney, Best Supporting Actor Tom Wilkinson, and Best Supporting Actress for Tilda Swinton, for which she won. This movie tells the story of Michael Clayton's rise from Brooklyn prosecutor to working at a large law firm. Don't you know who I am? I'm a fixer. 
He is a self-proclaimed janitor who cleans up messes on behalf of the firm. The firm asks him to handle a big mess where Tom Wilkinson, who is handling their $3 billion class action lawsuit against their client, Unorth, a biochemical company, because Wilkinson flipped out in the middle of a deposition and ran naked through the parking lot and has appeared to have a sudden change of heart. Tilda Swinton, who plays the general counsel for UNorth, decides that Wilkinson is too much of a liability and she has him killed. George Clooney gets suspicious of this. Then she tries to have George Clooney killed. She thinks she was successful in doing so by having people plant a bomb in his car. He then surprises her when the lawsuit is about to be settled with a demand for $10 million in exchange for his silence over the murder of Tom Wilkinson and the attempted murder of him. This conversation is over. I'm not the guy that you kill. I'm the guy that you buy. Are you so fucking blind you don't even see what I am? Where Tilda Swinton then agrees. She doesn't realize, though, that she's being recorded, and Tilda Swinton is arrested, and George Clooney walks away. This was a movie that came out while we were in law school, which was especially fun for me. Just a really sharp movie. Crisp, great performances by not only Clooney, Tilda, and Tom Wilkinson, who is one of the show's favorites. I don't know how you guys feel about Clooney. I've always been okay with him. He's a Hollywood hero. Yeah, he's the same in every movie. So is John Wayne. He's a classic. The things I liked about this movie was a lot of the supporting cast. I've always been a fan of Merritt Weaver, who is the named plaintiff that Tom Wilkinson essentially falls in love with. But she was also in Signs with Mel Gibson, and she's got a really funny scene in that where she's talking to him and she's like confessing, and he's like, I'm not I'm not a pastor anymore. And she's like, Is douchebag a curse? I suppose that would depend on its usage. She's got a good delivery. Sidney Pollack. No, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned owns, him. Owns, owns this movie. Yeah, here's what I know. Your deadline was 20 minutes ago, so you're either fishing for a story, you're trying to get out of writing or attraction. In either case, I wish you the best of luck. The scenes that he's in, he's just, he's great in it. And so is my boy Danny Noonan from, from Caddyshack, who's Barry. He's an asshole, but he knows it. You gotta remember, we weren't even... We weren't even working attorneys when this came out, right? Who else? Right. How those relationships or how those scenes played out, we didn't even really understand it. And it was still cool, but definitely get it now, right? Very cool movie. Tom Wilkinson, it's his movie. Loved it. I, I give it five without a doubt. What say you, Logan? I love the movie. Love Tom Wilkinson. Absolutely love the scene that you played at the top, Mike, with the Shiva God of Death. I completely agree, Matt. I'm so glad you brought up Cindy Pollock. He is excellent as the senior partner. I cannot picture anybody better playing this sort of senior partner, and he's sort of aloof at at times, which is like my experiences for some of the like the managing partners and people that I've dealt with in in that kind of a role, and you know, like the details and everything like that. That's for somebody else. Like he is so good. Him and Wilkinson for me make the movie it's not like i hate clooney i just he puts in like a workmanlike performance he's good he doesn't blow me away do i look like i'm negotiating my biggest issue with the movie is the the sequencing where they give away the ending at the beginning 
I think the movie just loses a ton of tension at the end because you know he's not going to blow up. I wish they would have stopped the clip at the beginning before his car blows up, just like him driving after he meets with that guy. And then the scene with the horses, there just, there was a huge loss of tension for me with the That's, way they that put the horses too, by the way. I, another guy who I yeah. love. American Horror Story. Oh yeah. Was, was this a 2000s things guys where you felt like there was a need in Hollywood to, to chop up the sequencing on movies. Cause we talked about this, like with the good shepherd, it's like post fight club ish. Like, I yeah. feel like, or it was like after the machinist, they were like, all right, we've done all the twist endings. So let's just move the twist endings to the front. You might be right. I don't the second twist. I give it a huge knock for that because I just, it just loses so much steam for me at the end because I already know what's going to happen. He's not going to die, right? It's a three and a half star movie that I elevate to four stars because of the performances. Tom Wilkinson and Sidney Pollock alone. But whatever happened in the movie, they're so good. I would have given it four stars no matter what. My other knock on the movie, Matt, is that I think it's just a little far-fetched. I mean, I was at a, I was at a big firm and wait, you I'm haven't also, ordered people uh, to be killed. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've been in house at big companies with billion dollar litigation going on. And mm-hmm. I don't think that the thought ever crossed our general counsel's mind to have somebody at the firm killed because they're not doing a good job on the case. Right. Like <laughs> it's just, it's a little out there. See, that's what I thought you guys did. See, I don't do it you guys. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time I'm hearing that, you know? I love the scene. I think we've talked about this. The scene where Sidney Pollack says, like, who? He's talking to Michael Hayden. He's like, 15 years in, I got to tell you how we pay the rent. This is one of our biggest clients. This is our biggest case. You're not going to get in the way of this. I definitely have been in that situation where in the big firm setting, the lawyers that are involved who are the originating attorneys is what they're called in the firm typically who have originated that business do not want anything to interrupt that stream of cash flow to the firm and to themselves. They're not going to let somebody get in the way of whatever it is. And so they're going to find some way around it. Don't get me wrong. I I love the movie. I, I very much enjoy the movie. It just loses so much steam with, with the end at the beginning. I didn't mind that. I thought it was a, a cool scene. What set out in the movie after that that made you think anybody other than the hitmen that you're following around the whole movie were going to blow up his car? I love those hitmen, too. They're great. Two, but, I mean, like, but there's, but there's no mystery, right? It's not out, like, get out, it's, get right, out it's very, it's very. If, if you're going to set it up like a whodunit, like, oh, I wonder how the car blew up. I don't think it was meant to be set up as a whodunit. I think it was meant more, and one of the reasons why I like it when I think about the things that I enjoy, it's more like a spy movie than anything. It's like corporate espionage. Okay. I I like where you're going here. This is fair. And it was him playing her. Clooney is suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I thought that scene when he was strung out after he is – dealing with Dennis O'Hare and he's looking at the horses and then it, it blows up out of, out of nowhere. I thought that created the mystery of like, what did this guy do that he's, that he's going to get blown up for like a lost mini mystery. But the, I mean, they could have done it without that, I think. And it would have been more suspenseful, but uh, to your point, Matt, I mean, this is, 
we know this is how you analyze movies is from the spy. Right, right. It's just the the big reveal is that he brought his brother in to arrest her. Like it was like a sting operation. Other mini mysteries, like what did the brother do? Like, right. you know, right. had a, a past with gambling that really was just non-germane to this at all. Right. Just created a bunch of like tension between him and his older brother who said like half people think you're a cop, half people think you're a lawyer, you know, you're neither. Right. The problem with this movie is that Tony Gilroy wrote and directed this movie. He needed somebody else to either direct or write. He shouldn't have done both because the tension should have been, oh, did the mob blow him up or did somebody, did you North blow him up? And they didn't okay. do that in this Yes. Movie, right? That would have been a better movie. That would have been what Logan was looking for. And I think, and, and if you're going to do the end at the beginning, then you do it that way so that you can build the tension. Because otherwise, why do you care about these scenes? You know that, like, he's working with people who have millions of dollars that are just going to pay these people off. Like, there's no question about him getting this money from Sidney Pollock. Correct. You know? And I, when I was watching it and I thought, better thing would be he doesn't ask. He's too prideful to ask. And he won't do it. He wants to earn it. But he won't ask. But he just goes up straight and he's like, can I have 80 grand? And Sidney Pollock's like, I mean, I guess I'm late. <laughs> I mean... Gilroy was too close to it by writing and directing it. He needed, if he wrote that, the director would have caught that or vice versa. I really like those scenes. Like that, the scene that you got to see Pollock, Pollock gives him a check for 80K and says, call it a bonus. And he goes, you're welcome. And all of that is good. And I'm, and I, look, it's a four star movie to me and I'm picking around the edges on this thing. Clooney, it's Clooney being Clooney. Mm-hmm. Right? For sure. And so. Which is okay. That's which fine. Okay. I mean, that's it's fine. Thing. It's fine, but I don't think Clooney can carry a movie in the way that, that he's expected to in this movie. Tom Wilkinson dies. Tilda Swinton is, most of her scenes are by herself. They're amazing, but most of them are by herself. Clooney's, he's doing all of the, he's in just about every scene in the movie, and he's carrying the whole story. Now, is he better in that scene in the Milwaukee jail because he's in there with Tom Wilkinson? Absolutely. When he comes back and fires back with, you're a manic depressive and take these, the pills won't kill it if it's real. That's really good acting by Clooney. But that's the best he's got. But Wilkinson, he's still in the show, and he's not in the movie enough. It's a supporting role. Michael, I have great affection for you, and you lead a very rich and interesting life. But you're a bag man, not an attorney. These supporting roles, you're allowed to ham it up a little bit. That's a nice thing. The Academy even likes that, too. So he went with it with everything he got. He wasn't going to be on there long. I don't think a protagonist has that luxury because then it can be A, over the top, or B, too much for too long. I think this is Clooney's best role in a dramatic film. Do you think he should have been nominated for Best Actor? He deserved the nom, but not the win. Agreed. Daniel D. or Vigo. I mean, I still think, wasn't that, that was Eastern Promises, right? Yes. Duh. Uh, Logan, I, I don't uh, know, no man. Way. It's, uh, He's I don't already think it's got that two close. more. Come on. Give the, <laughs> give give Vigo the flying Dutchman one. Vigo his day. What do you guys think of Tilda Swinton? She won Best Supporting Actress for this. Was that, oh, she, was, uh, she was amazing. She, she's really good. She's good in a lot of shit, though. And she's and just then, in a lot of weird things that you might not. Like we need to talk about Kevin. Or Snowpiercer. 
this was my, I think, third watch, and I watched it with my wife, and something she sort of picked up on, which I had not appreciated the first couple times I watched it, was she was a little irritated that the only woman in the movie was the worst person in the movie. You mean the one that ordered people to be killed? Yes. <laughs> for yes. In, just just for anxiety reasons, right? Like right. So not, not even not even for like pure evil. Just like she was just like, why is the woman just the the worst person in this movie? The only woman that's in in the movie. Why is she the bad person? Right. Yeah. And so she was a little perturbed by that, and it didn't even cross my mind when I the first couple times I watched it, and I was like, yeah, I mean, you have a point. But so, that's a good that's a good role, though. I mean, and that it is, is she, be, she won for it. So to be, of course, it's good. She's playing the role that would typically go to a man. Correct. I think that's I think that's not. I don't think that's a role that was picked based off of sex. I think that role could easily go to a man who's a man that lies to cover up a mistake because mm-hmm. of anxiety. Matt Damon in The Departed kind of, especially the scene where he gets Sheen killed and he just closes the phone. And those are roles that have been played by men in general. It's a fair point. It's a yeah. fair point. It's just not something I had picked up on the first But she times. also was trying to make her general counsel proud of her that could be a little bit patronizing but that was i mean that was part of it it's it's an interesting point no doubt when you really are enjoying what it is you do who needs balance she's so good one of the things i did like about the movie that they did do was it ends up being the memorandum of summons to conquest the name of the little kid's book that he's reading which is it's called Realm and Conquest. What did you think about the, like, relationship with the little boy? And- no, I liked the exploration of that, and I liked all of the symbolism there. Like, it, when I when I watched it on the second take, I noticed that the picture of the horses in the book lines up with the horses in the pasture when the car blows up. And there's all of those little things to be drawn. And then there's the conversation that they have in the beginning of the movie where he's explaining what it's like to be out there in this conquest realm. And then Clooney says, sounds familiar. And then Tom Wilkinson has the conversation with the kid later, which I thought was great. It was a great scene. And he's sitting there like, you know, like all like, right. He's curled up and he's like, so what happens to the people? (laughs) Right. U-North is a fake company, but there was a real company that had a controversial memorandum that cost them billions of dollars, and that was Monsanto. They're notorious for everything. I mean, the bovine growth hormones, Agent Orange, PCBs, DDT. I mean, these are all brought to you by Monsanto. But there was a memo that Monsanto made about PCBs and how they were killing people. So they they knew the whole time that this stuff was just like what happened in this movie. They knew that it was killing people and that it was basically invisible and it was a silent killer. And then in the 90s, they found barrels of these PCBs in a landfill. And so somebody basically wrote up the chain, what do you want me to do? I found these barrels of PCBs in this landfill and they're leaking PCBs into the water basin. And the memo came back, which ended up being you know, the summons to conquest memo, which was take the Monsanto label off the barrels and leave them. And that is what cost Monsanto billions of dollars in a lawsuit. Right. I I like this movie. I like it a lot. I just, I don't think it's near a perfect movie. I think there are some perfect things about it. I think Tony Gilroy was his own worst enemy in this movie. Clooney's not a bad lead. I think you could probably find other people who could do it better. Who would do better? Who would do better in this movie, you think? Damon. Leo. Bale. Gosling. 
Gosling would be a good fixer for sure. Go- Gosling is who I would go with if not Clooney. Fixer's got to be smooth. I mean, and we saw this in the eyes of March, right? Right. Gosling's out acting Clooney in those scenes. It's Clooney being Clooney, right? He's, he's Governor Mike or he's Michael Clayton. This movie still kind of sexes up the legal profession. <laughs> it's, it is not like this. Mike and I both worked in big firms at, at one point in our career, and our firm didn't have a fixer, right? Since I've been in-house, I worked with a ton of, of the biggest firms in the country. They didn't, as far as I know, have, quote, fixers or or people that just do this, right? Like Mike said, there's some there's some brilliant points to it. I just don't think it, it quite gets the five stars for me. There's a lack of authenticity to this movie at in times and then at times it's right on the nose. And you know, the I Sydney Pop right the Sydney yeah. Pollock scenes are just like they're so familiar to me and then other times I'm like, no, come on. Look, he does a good job of kind of stair stepping you to it, right? He doesn't just like boldly just throw it out there. So they do a good job of, of getting you to that point. But when you get there and you just go, wait a second, we're not hitting people with tasers and knocking them out. And fa- I mean, come on. Yeah, you guys have talk- security companies that do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody said that the attorneys do it. Okay. Right. So the more we talk about it, I mean, it's, it's something that I might use going forward as like a, as a learning tool because one of the things I always tell my internal clients, I need to know the bad things, right? Like I need to know the things you're scared about so that I can properly prepare our defense. Don't hide that stuff from me. It's only going to make things worse in the long run. If you want my, my full assessment of your case and the risk, I need to know all of the pieces. That's essentially what Wilkinson has had an epiphany, which is they didn't tell me about this. I've been litigating this yeah. case for years, and then I come across this, and it's now changed his whole perspective. Whether he's got some sort of bipolar disorder or not, it's changed his whole perspective on the case. Uh, those smoking guns, I think, are again are more Hollywood than real life. But mm. I'm not going to say that they don't they don't exist. I mean, all of us have read the press briefings about smoking guns in big cases and and how it changed the dynamic of the case completely. Usually results in settlement, not murder for hire plots <laughs> by general counsels. <laughs> And some company paying tons of money and then changing its name, right, to rebrand itself into something else. I think this movie's extremely rewatchable, though. You guys, I think, both having worked in big law firms and being corp counsel, you're taking a little bit of the magic away, right? Like, I mean, (laughs) it's still a Hollywood movie, right? So, I mean, like, you know, that's like saying Santa Claus isn't real right now, too. So, I mean, (laughs) I get it. Rewatchable movie. I think that the little pieces by the supporting cast is what makes this so great. Like the way it's shot, like how he just went into a cab and then drove around and the credits came up. I I thought it was a cool movie. You're probably right. It's probably not five. It's somewhere in between four and five for me. When you guys highlight certain things, it's extremely disappointing that giant energy (laughs) companies don't. (laughs) aren't involved in murder for hire I'm not sure I'm not sure what what you want me to do (laughs) 
you feel good? Can you make me feel good? Can you make me feel good? Halle Berry and Billy Bob Thornton in a scene from the movie Monsters Ball, for which Halle Berry won an Academy Award for Best Actress in 2001. And to this day, she is the only black woman to win the Academy Award for Best Actress. Halle Berry's first feature film was Spike Lee's Jungle Fever. She also starred in Boomerang, Losing Isaiah, Executive Decision, Baps, Bullworth. In 2000, she starred in X-Men, then Swordfish, and, of course, Monster's Ball. She was a Bond girl in the movie Die Another Day. She was also in X-Men 2, Gothica, Catwoman, X-Men The Last Stand, Perfect Stranger, Dark Tide, Cloud Atlas, The Call, X-Men Days of Future Past. And she made her directorial debut in 2020 in the sports film Bruised. Did you just say she directed something? Yeah, that was one of the things that really surprised me, is that this movie Bruised, it's a Netflix movie, she directed... And starred in this movie. And there's no reviews. Um, <laughs> not even, our, nobody even ranked it, so it's not zero stars. <laughs> it's not, not applicable. No, no consensus yet from Rotten Tomatoes. Right. No consensus. <laughs> so Halle Berry was my pick. I wanted to talk about her because she holds a distinction. We talk a lot about the Academy Awards on this show, but she is the only black actress to win the Academy Award for Best Actress in the history of almost, we're almost 100 years. To understand Halle Berry and how she got to that stage and then where she is now, you got to go to a little suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, where she was born and raised. Her mother was white. Her father was black. She did not have a relationship with her father. She was pretty much raised by her mother in a in a white town, she was homecoming queen, and she was the runner-up, I think, in a Miss USA or Miss Universe, whatever it was. You know, she's a beauty pageant contestant. Finds herself making her film debut in a Spike Lee movie with Jungle Fever, not a, a breakout performance at all. But it does lead to other movies. You know, she does The Last Boy Scout, which I think is the best Damon Wayans movie ever made. That's a good movie. <laughs> I mean, that scene where he's like, you know, uh, with the cigarette with, with Bruce Willis, they touch me again, I'll kill you. I like when they're like in the middle of an NFL game and, and like the running back takes out a gun and just starts shooting people. <laughs> it was like any given Sunday meets the naked gun. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> she does Boomerang. Do you guys remember that movie, The Program? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was in that. James Conn. Was yeah. she Omar Epps' tutor? Yes. She played Autumn Haley. No, I forgot that she was in the program. Halle Berry is a beautiful woman. She is in the beginning of the 90s. She's going to get these roles to play a beautiful young person, just like every other beautiful young person in these movies that appeal to young people. They just get made every year. She tries to do a little losing Isaiah dramatic role, I think, uh, was it Jessica Lang, I think is the lead, but she plays, uh, you know, she plays the, the mother of the, of the child that Jessica Lang is gonna adopt. Look at my face. I'm his mother. God says so. Does a little executive decision. Bullworth, which. Don't you love um, that movie? I love oh, that movie. Time. Why do you think there are no more black leaders? Some people think it's because they all got killed. But I think it has more to do with the decimation of the manufacturing base in the urban centers. Obviously, her, her career goes to the second level when she hits the X-Men role. This is in 2000. This is in the beginning of what would become 
the the modern superhero era of films that we live in. It's by no means the leading X-Men role, right? It's not Wolverine or something like that, but it's, you know, it's significant. I mean, she does five other X-Men movies or whatever it is. Do you think they were making big money for X-Men in 2000? Not like now, but I'm sure she got a pretty healthy check for that. And then she, you know, then she does Swordfish and then, you know, she does Bond. She was cashing a lot of checks at that at that point in her they, career. They paid her $500,000 to show her breasts in the movie Swordfish. That was a part of her contract. It got a lot of press at the time. It right. did. I remember that. But, like, for, for X-Men, you know, that movie made $300 million. Now, compare that to today where, you know, Infinity War made, you know, or Billions. Endgame, whatever it was, made a billion that's not. Then she she gets Monsters Ball. She wins the Academy Award. She's a Bond girl. She does another X Men, and then she's just doing, you know, she's going to be her own superhero movie with Catwoman. It, on paper, she's following the ladder to success of what you would expect a successful actor to follow at this point in time. But here's the thing: you cannot overlook the fact that there is on the one side the Academy. Lacking of credibility when it comes to issues of race. And then you have Halle Berry, who holds a distinction in history as the only black woman to win the award. That had a profound effect on her career. It just did. And so it's interesting to me to look at what happened before and then what happened after. One of the things that this takes me back to was, Matt, your comment that in 2001, when they do this, they they give it to Denzel for training day and they give it to Halle Berry the same year. They also give a Lifetime Achievement Award to Sidney Poitier. And that's when you have the acceptance speech from Denzel where he's like, I've been chasing you for 40 years. And what do they do? They give it to you on the same night. And And then you have years where they don't nominate a single person of color at all for any acting. It's absurd. I I agree with that. It's definitely absurd. I think the struggle that you're having, Mike, is that she didn't deserve it. Absolutely not. Monsters Ball, she's not horrible in it, but she's not That goes to Sissy Spacek for in the bedroom. Period, end of story. It's her award. It should be on her shelf. When you played this the scene, part of the problem with that is that she is not good in it, but then you forget because she gets naked and they're having sex and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> right? Like, she is extremely sexy woman, but she, the, the lead up to that is just not good acting by her or anybody else for that matter. Billy Bob is not a particularly great actor either. It was a risque movie. That's why it, it was. was. It, it, it sure. was a risque movie. The Academy like, likes risque movies, but no doubt did they just say, hey, I mean, let's just let's just take care of them all in one night, get it over with. It, clearly, it, it would fit the new criteria, sure. no doubt. So, so it would be in under the new criteria for sure. So one of the things that I thought about and sort of trying to figure out why did this happen? Where are we going with this? What what what's happened over the last twenty years? Because since she won, there have been eighteen other award ceremonies, and only five persons of color have been nominated in the best actress category. Five out of eighteen. Sentence for every nameless, faceless woman of color that now has a chance because this door tonight has been opened. Right. We're going back to Morgan Freeman with the cringeworthy performance of, yes, did it open doors? Sure. Mm-hmm. Driving Miss Daisy did open doors for black actors and actresses. It's cringeworthy to go back and look at that, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, also. Yeah, also yeah. My, I mean, it's horrible, right? Correct. 
Correct. Same right. thing. We're just we're just moving through the cycles. Well, one of the other I think questions that you asked via text, Mike, was is she the worst actress to win an Oscar for best actress? You know, some of these other women that have won that are are clearly deserving. Logan, I mean, you essentially have said it is that it's it's more of a gauntlet on the female side. There's more talent. More, there's definitely more talent at the higher level. I mean, so the answer I, is almost unequivocally yes. She is by and far the worst actor who won an Academy Award. Worst performance versus worst actress. I don't think Hillary Swank is a bad actress. I really liked her in Boys Don't Cry. She should not have won for Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby. I agree. Her, her performance is garbage. The movie's garbage. The whole thing. If I was thinking straight, I'd go back home, find a used trailer, buy a deep fryer and some Oreos. That's probably the worst Best Actress winner. Hallie's not bad. Not bad. She's not bad, but she's definitely not Oscar-worthy winner. The year that she was up was she was against Judy Dench for Iris and Sissy Spacek for In the Bedroom. Either one of those could have pulled that off, but clearly Sissy Spacek. I mean, that's one of the best female performances in a movie that I've I ever can seen. think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That um, fight that she has with Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, what he had. Oh, my God, you got to be know it. You wanted it, and you couldn't get it. That's why you didn't stop him. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Part of understanding her career, like, is she the worst actress or what about this? Is it, It's hard to look at her performances after this in any other lens other than she just had this transaction with the Academy where they gave her this award, and now she can cash in on it. And she can get these huge studio roles in these big big budget movies, and she's going to make millions of dollars. Here's the thing. What else is she going to do? Right, she had no choice. Everyone dogs Catwoman, but she had no choice but well, to she, do it. She's going to pass on Catwoman? Oh, no, thanks. I mean, come yeah, on. I mean, right? at that point. It was huge. It was it, huge for her. It, it's huge for anybody. One of the movies that she's in that you forgot to mention, Mike, she is in the giant ensemble cast of what I consider to be the biggest gimmick movies of all time, which are the holiday movies. She is in New Year's Eve. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Which she's the nurse that takes care of Robert De Niro. Yep. Those holiday movies are, to me, the biggest gimmick movies they have these. Do the holiday movies start because of Love Actually? I think there's a ton of like Christmas movies, like Love Actually, The Holiday, things like that, that have been very successful and everybody watches every year. And this is just an assumption on my part that these big ensemble casts get some huge royalty check every time these movies play. And they know that a movie like New Year's Eve is going to play every year around this time because that's the name of the movie. For the same reason they all did Valentine's Day, which is going to play every February. I I mean, you look through her catalog and I'm just like, oh, man, this was crash and burn, crash and burn. She got paid for each one, right? I mean, that's that's, that's what it is. We talked about the money and, like, even those early X-Men movies, I know they made money. But I'm like, it's not like now with the Avengers it's not. and stuff like it's that. It's definitely not like now. I think Hugh Jackman made money in those movies. I think his popularity grew with those movies, and they started to pay him after that. Right. I don't think everybody got paid. I mean, but you got to imagine, Halle Berry was a known quantity at that time. I mean, she was a celebrity mainly because she was married to David Justice. Uh, she was a model. You know, I, I think where, where you're going with this, Mike, is essentially they used each other. 
the Academy Awards used her, and she said, okay, I'll take it, and I'll be Academy Award winner Halle Berry, and use that to market myself. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Matt. Like, the Academy used her, and she used the Academy to sort of springboard into bigger things. But she she had already kind of gotten it with the first X-Men. That sort of put her on that starlit map. Like a lot of our discussions about actors or actresses, I don't think she's going to win additional Academy Awards in the autumn of her years. I don't think she's going to do anything spectacular. I have no expectations for Halle Berry as she ages that she's going to do anything spectacular as we as we progress uh, towards the towards the twilight of her career. But also she's got more competition now. That's the thing that bothers me. If you look at these performances from Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer, Loving versus Virginia, uh, Ruth Nega, she played Mildred Loving. You look at the lady who played Harriet Tubman, Cynthia Erivo. Those are Academy Award nominated performances and they, they did not win. One of the reasons why I thought this would be an interesting pick was to bring up the point, because we've been talking about it a lot, this uh, diversity criteria that they have come up with. You know, when I first look at that, I look at how I look at, generally speaking, laws or other rules that tell you to do things that you should know to do, like wear a mask during a pandemic. You should know to wear a mask during a pandemic. There shouldn't be a mask mandate to require you to do that. You should just not be an idiot. Well, you should also know that the Academy Awards have a history of systemic racism. You should take it upon yourself to not try to just give them all in one night. So the diversity criteria, it's not going to work. There's going to be unintended consequences. But it's a law that tells the Academy, hey, when you're walking down the street, don't walk into a telephone pole. (laughs) And they apparently need that because they're idiots when it comes to race. I thought it was interesting in looking, doing the research for this that Eddie Murphy in 88 was asked to give an award. He said he didn't want to do it. So he just told the story about how he was talking to his agent about how he didn't want to do this. And he said, my man said, why? And the white man was like, why? And I said, I said, I'm not going because they haven't recognized black people in the motion pictures. He said, what are you talking about? Black people won Oscars. I said, well, black actors and actresses that won Oscars throughout 60 years was like that. I think um, Hattie McDaniels won the first one, then um, Sidney Poitier won one, and Lou Gossett won one. And I'll probably never won an Oscar for saying this, but hey, what the hey, I gotta say. Um, actually, I might not be in trouble because the way it's been going is about every 20 years we get one, so we ain't due for about, to about 2004, so <laughs> by that time it's all blown over. <laughs> right. And then Kim Basinger the next year got up and said, do the right thing wasn't nominated. This is bullshit. This is a problem that's been going on for decades. Do it the way that we've been talking about, and you're going to get a better quality product. But if you just run it through the diversity committee criteria, which we need to come up with a shorthand for, what are we going to call it, Matt? The memorandum of understanding from, you know, June of 2020. (laughs) You're going to bureaucratize art. And it's going to be subpar. That's what happens. But if you have the conversation like we're having about it, which is truthful, then you're going to end up with something better than something manufactured. No doubt. No doubt. Agree. In Mulai, black boys look blue. You blue. That's what I'm going to call you. Blue. Say your name, Blue. <laughs> nah. That's 
some point you gotta decide for yourself who you gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. Maher Shah Ali wins Best Supporting Actor for that role in 2016's Moonlight. The movie also won Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay for Barry Jenkins. He also directed the movie. That year, the other big awards went to Best Director Damien Chazelle for La La Land, Casey Affleck taking home the Best Actor Oscar for Manchester by the Sea, and in La La Land, the Best Actress winner Emma Stone, Best Supporting Actress Viola Davis for Fences, and the Best Original Screenplay went to Manchester by the Sea. So Moonlight, this is your pick, Logan? Correct. And Moonlight, this is a first watch for you, correct? Correct. Yep. Tell us a little bit about what the movie addresses and its story and which thought of it. It's got a bunch of different levels. It addresses race. It addresses sexuality, sort of a coming of age story. It's broken up into three sort of segments to the movie about the boy's coming of age and his struggle with his sexuality and his environment. It's a good movie. It's a, it, it's enjoyable. Five stars? No. I thought the first half of the movie was really good. I struggled with the second half or maybe the, the last third because it is broken up into three pieces. The first two segments I thought were, were very well done. The third one, it's a struggle. So what happens in the movie essentially is you see a young African American kid who is picked on a lot by his peers, who's not really sure what to think about certain things. And then as he, as he becomes a teenager, he's starting to have feelings that he may be homosexual, which he carries out in a pretty powerful scene with another one of his friends who's been his friend since since he was a youngster. I think that's where the movie really sort of peaks. Then he essentially has a sort of criminal intervention where he sort of loses everything, loses control and, you know, beats up a bully and gets sentenced to juvie time and then moves to Atlanta and recreates his entire life and becomes a sort of hardened drug dealer is what you're made to understand. When we got to Atlanta, I started over. Built myself from the ground up, but myself hard. And out of the blue, while he's in Atlanta as a sort of gangster, he gets a call from his friend from when he was young that he had this sexual experience with, and that person wants to sort of reconnect with him. And so he goes back to Florida, and they reconnect, and that's kind of how the movie ends. But like I said, the first two-thirds of the movie, I think, are very are very well done. Marshall Ali is outstanding in the movie. And he's only in the first third. He's, he's only in the first third. It's a good movie. It's not a five-star movie for me, and it's not in the best picture of the decade category. So Moonlight, for me, the acting and directing is outstanding. Meyer Shah Ali, I think, gives certainly the best performance of his career, but one of the best performances just period. That's some of the best acting I've ever seen. The subject matter is is novel. It meets all the new criteria, for sure. Cer certainly, but not in a disingenuous way, right? Correct. The cinematography and the sound is just so, I mean, Miami is, and I hate Miami. I'm a native Floridian. I can't stand the place, but it, that is how it is. And that, that movie is so Florida and it captures each time period that it's in very well. Barry Jenkins, he's from Miami, so he, he does that well. 
I knocked this movie for rewatchability because it's just, it's too, it's too much. It's too much for me. I, I and, and for me, the hard part is actually the, the act that you criticized, Logan, the third act, uh, to me was the most difficult act to watch because he doesn't say anything. He speaks very little and it's intentional. And then the one time he does talk, he basically just says, look, I, I haven't been able to be with anyone since you because this was sort of like the end all be all of my sexuality. And I haven't been able to figure out anything since. And I've just sort of been stuck in the past. And I remade myself into somebody who can't be like that. He's a full on drug dealing gangster in Atlanta in, in the third act. Right, and he's likely to suffer the same fate as Maher Shah Ali's character, which is to die, die a young, early, tragic death. I found it just terribly depressing, and but just incredibly authentic. There are two movies in the list that you listed, Mike, for me, that are five-star movies, which are Manchester by the Sea, also not necessarily rewatchable, and Hell or High Water, which we spent a whole episode talking about. My wife would also tell you that Arrival is a five-star movie. She absolutely loves that movie. I love it, too. I love um, it, too. It's very good. I don't have it at five stars, but it's a, it's a very good movie. I think that guy's the director of the decade. Villain of Wave. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know you love that guy. What, what I like about him is that he can do any style. He can do a sci-fi movie. He can do, like, a avant-garde or surreal movie like Enemy. I've never seen anything like Enemy in my life. Prisoners was very suspenseful. It was, it was paint by numbers, but got it done. Sicario, dude. Was, he can do anything from the art house indie flick to uh, a studio summer blockbuster. Right. But he can somehow do it and maintain some artistic integrity and style. I have mixed feelings about Arrival. Villain away, I like his style. I, this is the most beautifully shot alien movie of all time. I, I agree with that. I love Arrival too. Like I said, I don't put it quite at five stars. I don't either, but for different well. reasons. I'd put it at five, but I can't only because it's sitting right next to Hell or High Water. This is a good year for a film, especially in the midst of the superhero era. My problem with Arrival is this. I'm a huge Kurt Vonnegut fan. I read the Slaughterhouse-Five, the movie adaptation of it. A lot of people have mixed feelings about it. I'm a big fan of the Slaughterhouse-Five movie. The concept of time as a flat circle, as Matthew McConaughey explains in True Detective, it stems from Vonnegut. He invented it, this concept in Slaughterhouse-Five. Other people have taken it and run with it in different directions, but never have I seen it more plagiarized than Arrival. They say that it's based off this short story by this guy called The Story of Us or whatever it's called. That little mini sci-fi novella rips off Slaughterhouse-Five because Slaughterhouse-Five is about a guy who becomes unstuck in time and learns how to be unstuck from aliens, and then you sh- then you tell his story where he just moves without control through his life at varying points of time. So if there's just a written by Kurt Vonnegut byline, you are giving this five stars. <laughs> so I was going to say, so the last thing was, though, is the marketing, because they push this as like a rival has an ending that right, you right. won't believe. And I was like, no, it's an ending I do believe because I already read it and I saw it in another movie. I agree. The marketing the marketing was off. I didn't know anything about Blown Away. Like, I did Sicario and Rival, like, pretty close in succession. And I was like, huh, same thing, guy. We got, we got, we're working with something here. Then I do Enemy 
and prisoners. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. So he does prisoners, enemies, Sicario, arrival, Blade Runner 2049. Oh yeah. Yeah. That movie was good as hell, man. I mean, (laughs) and then then we'll look forward to next year for Dune. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it and I'm going to watch the Lynch version of it. But this is hell or high water for me. This year's hell or high water for you? Uh, uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I thought we were all in consensus on that, in that this, this year for sure, Heather Highwater is our winner. I well, agree. I think we, I think we can take off Manchester by the sea because number one, if Matt watched it, it would just be like a, the Boston no hatred. Doubt. Doesn't it take place in, in Maine though or something? No, in, in Manchester. Go ahead and pull that pin out of that conversation uh, that we, we, we stuffed to the side on, on Casey Affleck winning best actor. I don't give a fuck what you're doing, Mrs. Olsen. I'm just trying to fix the fucking leak. Come on. When you say, like, you just put on a Boston accent and you win the Academy Award, that's what he did because Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea is basically the same character he played in Goodwill Hunting just grown up. No, there's more depth there. There's more depth than you're giving him credit for. Yeah, he cries because he, he killed his kids. <laughs> I mean, like, it's what, what, would, what would the Goodwill Hunting guy do if he killed his kids? I think he would cry. He cries. He has to take care of somebody else's kids. That's the Which, movie. There's no redemption great. for him. Yeah, right. I you know? I think he's very good. I don't think they got it so really? wrong that it's like a you know a travesty at the at the level that we've talked about some other years. Did you think he was just, better than Gosling for La La Land? Yeah, generally. Really? Yeah. Did you think he was better than his brother in Goodwill Hunting? Maybe not Matt, but definitely his brother in Goodwill Hunting. Dude, his brother was so funny in Goodwill Hunting. I, I mean, that I know on, that put all those boys on the map. All of them well, on the map. He was in it too. He's fantastic. Give me my fucking sandwich. Give me that fucking sandwich. Give me your sandwich. I bought it. Right. I'm gonna put your sandwich on layaway. Right. Hey, That's great. You to Just like how you bought your. What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> so my problem with Manchester by the Sea, it overindulges itself in its heaviness, and it almost just like you know, revels in its sadness too far. So the, the example I would give is, I thought it was a very compelling scene where you know his wife kicks him out in the middle of the night. He's high, so he goes and gets some beers. He walks because he doesn't, he tries to do the right thing and not drink and drive. So he walks to the store, walks back, and he comes back and his house is on fire. And I'm thinking, okay, so cut to, fast forward, I get it. His kids died. But we hang out there for a while. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a, it's pretty long. And I'm, I'll preface my comments with, I've only seen that once. I've only seen La La Land once. Just from recollection, I don't think giving it to Casey is like a, oh, the Academy just bl- screwed the pooch on this one. Ryan Gosling is great in Lava Land. I'm not taking anything away from him. Sure. I thought he was going to win. I was sure. generally shocked when he didn't win and Emma Stone won because of the two of them, I thought Ryan was a little bit better than Emma in Lava Land. He's so funny. His character loves jazz. And when he takes her to the jazz club and he's all fired up, he's got a lot of range. And we, ha- we haven't talked about it as much as we should. Right. But he can do drama. He can do comedy. He pulls it off he's very, very well. Funny. He's very he's funny. He's very subtle and funny in La La Land. I think in general, if you do a song and dance musical, you're starting off with one point ahead of everybody else. But the thing is, it's not just the song and dance for him. He's great in that movie. Like you say, he he does both the comedic, where he's 
exalting jazz in the way that somebody would talk about Annette Benning's career. <laughs> it's not relaxing. It's not. It's not. Sidney Bechet shot somebody because they told me he played a wrong note. That's hardly relaxing. It is such an extraordinarily well-rounded multifaceted performance. Uh, I thought he was far and away better. If I was going to give it to anybody else after that, it would be Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge. Mm -hmm. It's a war movie, so it's it's limited. But Garfield does a really good job. I'm a fan of Garfield. He does a good job in that movie. I love Andrew uh, Garfield. Perhaps it's me showing my hillbilliness because my relatives uh, on one side of my family are from the mountains of Virginia where he's from in the in the movie. But that that guy's like one of my uncles uh, in that movie. He has got the accent down. He has got the mannerisms down. He puts the um, work in. I mean, it's a story about a guy who is a conscientious objector who runs all over a horrifically dangerous battlefield to save people while everybody else is just not doing anything. That movie is limited by its own terms. And so it's not the best movie of the year. It's not the best movie of the decade. It's remarkable, in my opinion, because it is the it is the comeback movie for Mel Gibson. Here he comes. And I did note it was not called Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> mm. Yeah. He learned his lesson from that apocalypto fiasco. I would give it to Denzel for Fences before I would give it to Garfield. I, Denzel is just, he's so good. King Kong ain't got shit on me! In the list there, Hell or High Water for me is far and away the winner. And we, far and we, away, we, really? We've talked about it. It's just such a... Dude, how solid how it's movie. Such a good movie, man. Through and through. Forget. Talk about, talk about a rewatch. Every time that movie, every time I see it, I will, I will watch it. See, see, I think it's, to me, I think it's a heavyweight bout between Moonlight, Hell or High Water, and La La Land. I would put Manchester by the Sea in there. The one that yeah. didn't make the list for me in this year was The Founder. Which is oh, about, with Michael Keaton. That's a great Michael movie. Michael Keaton with about Ray Kroc and the and the founding of McDonald's. Yeah, that movie is so good. And Michael Keaton is just off the charts. That boy He's has just, three health, three he years did. back to back to back. Matt, you were spot on. He's, which is he? He's sitting there folding his acceptance speech. It's fucking heartbreaker. Heartbreaker, heartbreaker for me. He could he could have been nominated for that this one too. Bullshit. I think Michael Keaton is in The Founder is better than Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea. I, I wouldn't argue with that. Keaton's so good in that. I, when really? that scene at the end when he's like, when I saw those golden arches, I wanted them. I wanted them. It's the name. That glorious name, McDonald's. It could be anything you want it to be. It's limitless. It's wide open. It sounds, uh, it sounds like Sounds like America. He's so believable and good in that role. He balances just the right way between guy who is like, you feel sorry for him because he's like selling vacuum cleaners and that kind Correct. of thing to basically like ruthless CEO robber baron type. Absolutely. It's amazing. Right. He, he really does a, an outstanding job in that movie. So all three uh, of those movies were indies too. Strong, strong, strong year. Not to take anything away from Moonlight. Not to, I don't, I don't think they got it dead wrong like we've talked about with some of the other years. But I, we all, all three of us love Heather Highwater so much. It's hard to argue. La La Land to me, I've talked about it before. I just think it's one of the most original, um, musicals I've ever seen. Damien Chazelle is just a one of a kind talent. Emma Stone and 
Ryan Gosling are fantastic in it. They're, Super great chemistry between the two of them. Right. <laughs> I'm on record as, as Hell or High Water being a five star movie. I just think this is one of the times and we've we've talked about this from time to time where pick a year where you've got three or more five star movies in the same like, year. I th- reasonable minds can differ in this year, right? Sure. And cause I think, I think, I think Moonlight, Hell or High Water and La La Land are five star movies. I think Arrival and Hacksaw Ridge and Manchester by the Sea are four star movies. We're talking about six, four to five star movies in my opinion. And I can't pick another year where you've got that many, not in the 2000s or the 2010s, right? Probably the best year of, of the tens. I was going to say the founder is the only one I see that's, uh, should not, that should have been on the list. That's not, I mean, this is, this is a bad year for the Coen brothers. This is the Hail Caesar year. Um, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm generally shocked that Heller Highwater even got nominated. Agreed. I could see it being one of the totally movies that snubbed. we talked yeah. about as the best movie of the year that but, wasn't nominated, but it actually got a nomination this year, which it, it, to me well, is a little shocking. Well, what, and what would it be snubbed? In favor of, right? Who's going to get that spot? I mean, Correct. that's the thing is like this, this is, this is the unintended good consequence of the superhero era, which is if you do get a Taylor Sheridan movie greenlit, it's going to get nominated because the field has been narrowed and we're, we're stretching it to make 10 good movies a year these days. So you guys are both hell, hell or high water. Agreed. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm la la land. No, no, wait. Sorry. Hell or high water. Rourke, Faye, and Warren, fucking Baseball. Dick, Tra- was- Dick Tracy. What were they just it. doing like a like a shout out to Bonnie and Clyde? Is it, that was, what it was. It was mm-hmm. a Bonnie and Clyde thing, and then they they get up on the stage, and they're on on each side of the stage are two guys from Pricewaterhouse Coopers, and they've got the envelopes in there. And so when one presenter comes up from one side, you get the award to you know the envelope to read. The problem is is that the other person has on the other side of the stage has another, has an identical copy of the same envelope. So when Warren Beatty walked up to his guy, he handed him what he thought was the best picture envelope, but it was the best actress envelope that he did not hand to the presenter for Emma Stone. So when he got up there to read it and he opened it up and he looked at it and said, best actress Emma Stone, La La Land, he looked at it and, and everyone was like laughing. No, I wasn't laughing. I just, and I showed it to Faye and I was like, you see this? And she goes, she just goes, La La Land. I will say this about the guy who's the producer for La La Land. Dude's got some, some grace. No doubt. That right? was one of the most awkward, weird, undescribable, because I, I remember watching it live, right? And the, and I think a lot of people thought La La Land was going to win. So I they won a was... bunch of other awards. And so then they announce it and then they're like, Time out. Moonlight won. This is not a joke. And I remember watching it and be like, what the, what's going on? What the hell are they talking about? And they're like, no, seriously, Moonlight won. And then to your point, Mike, the guy gets up there and he's like, Moonlight is a fantastic movie. I want to get everybody up here from Moonlight. We're going to get out of their way. Right. It was just such a cluster. Really classy move by that guy when, because I think Jimmy Kimmel was like, you know, can't we, can't you both get one? And he was like, no, I'm really excited to, to give this to my friends from Moonlight. And I'm like, man, that guy just came up and gave an acceptance speech to an award he didn't win. <laughs> you don't usually see that much class and grace from Hollywood. So the tip of the cap uh, to that guy. Did anybody see Independence Day resurgence? No. 
I didn't either. I was like, what the? They made a sequel to Independence Day? I didn't know about this. Bill Pullman's in it, I think, right? Everybody's in it except Will Smith. Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, William Feichner, Judd Hirsch is back. They did not put Randy Quaid back in there, right? Well, no, because he couldn't get back in the United States. Didn't one of them drive the jet inside the heart? Yeah, that that was Randy Quaid. Yeah, he said, in the words of my generation, up yours, and then... Yeah, so he died, so he couldn't come back. It's got nothing well, to do with his visa status. I mean, you say that like it's not a Hollywood movie, like you can't come back. <laughs> well, how many Halloweens are there? Didn't we go over this? <laughs> so, so wait, so what happened? Or, so I went in the blue light and I was at the alien plant and I got teleported back here. And then I didn't <laughs> the girls he killed. I want to nail them too. Difference is, I'm doing this with me. It's the little things, Jimmy. It's the little things that rip you apart. It's the little things that get you caught. The movie The Little Things, starring Academy Award winner Denzel Washington, Academy Award winner Rami Malek and Academy Award winner Jared Leto. I'm excited about it. And I feel like that genre has moved. They stopped making movies about him because they're doing all these TV shows and podcasts about it. Who's our actor for next week? Michael Shannon. He popped up on my list when we were talking about Shape of Water winning right. and his role in that. And just the roles that this guy takes, he's kind of sneaky. I love him. He's got to be playing a certain role. He can't be a leading front man and put butts in seats, I don't think. No. But, you know, I'm interested to kind of see, go back and watch some more of his stuff and see where where I think he fits in. Right. So we're just going to talk about nocturnal animals for 45 minutes. Yeah. So I read the book Warner brothers, remember, and Warner brothers, golden age, biggest hit or most successful picture was Casablanca. Oh, 1944. This mank thing made me do a deep dive into golden age. And, you know, one thing we might have to correct is, Sometimes we throw the term around like studio guy. Um, right. Th- th- those days are, those days have been gone for a long time. So when we say studio guy. You're not under need, contract. You're not under contract. Correct. That's it for this week's in-camera review podcast. Mike, Matt, and Logan. We are lawyers talking about movies. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.